Hi, everyone. Welcome to Frontier Faith, a podcast where it's okay not to know, not to know what you believe, why you believe it, or even where you might be going. It's a podcast where we journey together, where we discover together the journey that we're already on, this journey of faith. My name is Nathan Whitaker. And I'm Ryan Harris. And today we are finishing our three-part discussion on the Trinity. And two weeks ago, we talked about the Father. Uh, Yet last week, we talked about the Son. And today we are going to be talking about the Holy Spirit. And as usual, we're not really interested in talking about the theology as much as our heritage and then how we've been seeing some cracks in that heritage and now how we're starting to rethink what that looks like for us today. So we're going to just start by discussing our heritage. Ryan and I couldn't be further apart when it comes to <laughs> the Holy Spirit. Yeah, there's there's some uh, some golf <laughs> golf there, isn't there? Yeah, uh, especially in our heritage, maybe yeah. not between the two of you. you not and I, so much but, anymore, yeah. But our heritages certainly are very different. And so I think it'll just be kind of interesting to hear how different we are. And uh, the best way to do that is just describe where we came from. So, Ryan, what was the Holy Spirit like for you as it was taught and as you experienced him uh, growing up? Well, I think if you don't know anything else about Pentecostals, <laughs> I, I, let me put it this way. I had a textbook that I used in seminary, and it was called, it was about specifically the Assemblies of God, which was the denomination I was a part of. But the that was the subtitle, right? The, the actual title was People of the Spirit, yeah. because, I mean, that's really, I think, a fair way to describe Pentecostalism. And that makes sense because just a little bit of history here. I mean, at least in America, you know, there were revivals that happened. There were some that happened in other parts of the world, too. Um, But the ones that happened here in American Pentecostalism started because people experienced God working through the Holy Spirit in a way that was new to them. So the first person we know of, um, I believe, yeah, her name was Agnes Osmond, right? So she was studying at this little Bible school that a guy named Charles Parham had set up, had like 12 students, you know, and they said, oh, we don't need any textbooks. Our only textbook is the Bible. And pretty much, they, I think they exclusively read the book of Acts. <laughs> hmm. And um, anyway, they... Not Romans 8? Listen, you'll get there, but Luke is the one who matters the most, okay? okay? okay. Like, honestly, like, I don't know that you could say it at that time, but especially now, Pentecostals kind of look at everything through what you see in Luke-Acts, okay? Okay. But specifically what they saw was there are places in Acts where people receive the Holy Spirit, right? And, you know, what usually happens, although there aren't that many places where it's in there, but what usually happens is that they, like— speak in tongues that that was kind of the central experience for um well still is honestly and so what happened was these eight people or whoever they were were i feel like i don't remember if it was like new year's eve or something but whenever it was there was something like that but whenever it was they were praying and praying asking god for this same experience that they saw taking place right they wanted they believed that there was other, like they believed that there was something different that the spirit would do besides just salvation. Um, Later, they tended to think of it as a second work of grace, right? So the spirit works in your heart at salvation, but then this was something different, something subsequent, something separate from that. And Mm -hmm. as the story is told, uh, this um, Agnes Osmond, she was the first person who received this experience that they later called the baptism in the Holy Spirit, which is so it's it's like baptism in water, but this time instead of water, the what you're being baptized in is the Holy Spirit um, himself, you know, I think they would have said. And so like this becomes the central experience behind the Pentecostal expression of Christianity, this, this uh, movement of the Spirit that happens that is something different than what happens at salvation. Now that was a lot there. So, <laughs> you know, did that make sense? Um, you know. What do you think? Yeah, it made sense. I guess I would want to know what baptism of the Holy Spirit really means. Right. So they talk about baptism of the Holy Spirit as not just something different 
um, than salvation, although that's a big part of it. But it is uh, absolute and total surrender of yourself to the work of God through the Spirit. And they talk about it like like an infilling. So like God pours um, himself out on a person so much, like God pours God's Spirit on someone so much that they can't even contain it all right? Like that you are literally filled with the Holy Spirit. That's another way they refer to that same thing. You might even uh, run into some people today who still talk about being spirit-filled, right? That's this idea that um, they are filled with the Spirit to overflowing. And it's kind of like a good example is um, you see like parallels in the Old Testament. Now, they're not saying they're going to do the same things, but it talks about like um, Samson having the Spirit come upon him, you know? And then being able to do pretty amazing things, um, or you see the Spirit throughout the Old Testament and then later in the New Testament, of course. Um, but this idea that this experience of the Spirit is one wherein God gives you the full measure of the Spirit. And of course, you know, as human beings, what does that, I mean, that's hard to even comprehend. But there's this, there's regeneration that's part of, uh, it's another part of sanctification, because I wouldn't say it's the same thing. But it's this idea that you as a vessel of some sort, um, I remember someone doing an object lesson where like if we're a glass, an empty glass, right? When we're filled with the spirit, God, you take a whole pitcher of water and you pour it in there and it keeps pouring even as it ke- continues to overflow. That That's kind of the idea there. So what about the word baptism? Like why is that used for that? Because for Lutherans, of course, baptism would be by the water Mm -hmm. and the word. Of course, the Holy Spirit's working in that, but it's not the same thing. So I think there's probably two reasons that are coming to mind, and there may be other ones, but these are the ones I'm thinking of right now. You know, it's been a long time since I took those classes in seminary. (laughs) Partly, I think it's because whatever you believe about baptism, baptism has this idea of regeneration, right? Or this idea of new creation, or something is fundamentally different, right? Whether you're, you know, whether you're an infant when you're baptized or an adult, and whatever you think baptism is doing, those elements are usually in there, right? So this idea, I think it's called baptism because it's the Spirit doing similar things. But I think also you have to remember how these people baptize in water, right? This is not, um, they don't sprinkle people. They don't, you know, just put a little bit of water on there. These people are submerged all the way under the water (laughs) before they're brought back up. And so I think it fits with the image of being submerged in the spirit, right? So that like you are enveloped all the way, covered, um, filled with, and I think it, it just fits that picture of what they believe the spirit is doing. I don't remember if in, you know, cause there's, I think there's five places in the book of Acts where people receive the Holy spirit. And I don't remember if any of them specifically say, no, yeah, it says, and, and, uh, was it John, who is it that says, and he will baptize you with the Holy spirit. Somebody says that John. Yeah. Well, with the Holy Spirit Spirit and with fire and uh, side note, fire is also an important image for Pentecostals. So, so yeah, I mean, that's where the baptism idea comes from, because that's what that's what they're told would happen, that they would be baptized with the spirit. So you already kind of hinted at this, but this experience within your tradition points to a way of thinking about the Holy Spirit that seems pretty essential to Pentecostals. Can you kind of expound on that a bit more? Yeah. So, I mean, I think there's a lot of things that Pentecostals would say the Spirit does or the Spirit is about. Like, sure, they'd say the Spirit convicts of sin, is brings people to salvation, creates faith, all of those things. But the, the emphasis that I remember the most, I think, is that the Holy Spirit will give you power, right? The power of the Holy Spirit. So a central verse is Acts 1.8, and you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and then you'll be witnesses in Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth, right? If I had a nickel for every sermon I heard on Acts (laughs) 1.8 or Acts chapter 2, right? But this is what Jesus says before he leaves, right? Um, Before he ascends into heaven, and then, you know, Spirit comes at Pentecost in chapter 2, and, you know, then you see the apostles and everybody working in the power of the Spirit to create the church. But the emphasis for us was that 
you are baptized in the Holy Spirit, and as a result, uh, you have power to do, well, a few different things. You have power, I think you see power to witness and preach the gospel, right? So this idea that the Spirit will tell you how to act, what you should say, where to go, who to talk to, those kinds of things. And power to, to see, like, the Spirit work in even miraculous ways. So, well, I think all Pentecostals believe in the gifts of the Spirit, as Paul talks about them. I think, what, in First Corinthians? Most, if not all, Pentecostals are going to say you should expect to see the Spirit working through the gifts of healing, through the gifts of tongues or prophecy, or um, and there's any number of them. And some people will say it's only those ones listed there, and then some believe that there's other ones that can be gifts of the Spirit as well, right? Discernment of spirits, you know, whatever it is. The person who is filled with the Spirit should expect to, um, as they say, kind of function in those gifts or see those gifts in their lives. Or, you know, there's this idea that some people, like, that we all have different gifts, right? Different gifts, but the same Spirit kind of idea. And God gives us different gifts through the Spirit because then when we are all together, we have everything we need. You know, one person has the gift of faith, but another person may have the gift of healing, or one person may have a gift of prophecy, or, or you may have more than one, or whatever it is, you know. But this idea, though, is that the power of the Spirit is something that you should experience in your daily life now. It's not something that stopped when the New Testament was finished being written, or when the events described therein happened, you know. Mm -hmm. This is something that you should expect to see now. Um, it's why they will pray for people to be healed of diseases. It's why you see people speak in tongues in Pentecostal services, because this is the the power of God functioning in their lives through the Spirit. Um, it's almost like this idea, it's as natural as breathing in a sense of like, well, God is here through the Spirit, so of course these things would happen right? And we should earnestly desire them and look for them and learn how to trust the Spirit to show us what our gifts are and when to use them and, you know, all those kinds of things. And so I think this idea that uh, the Spirit brings power is probably the one that uh, I think received the most, um, the most emphasis. And I mean, you see that right from after the, uh, like, from the Azusa Street Revival, which is really what kicked off American Christianity. I mean, there's plenty of stuff that led up to that, but that was kind of the event that did. And you see people doing all those things there, but then going throughout the country and the world doing those same things, you know, um, to, <laughs> to varying results. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, I think that that was kind of the one that came up the most was this idea that the spirit gives you power, um, the power of God, like I said, like you see happening in various places in the Bible. Hmm. So you have an experience where the Holy Spirit does something powerfully on you or in you, in you. Both, yeah. Um, and then that power continues for the rest of your faith life. Right, right. This is, and this is something that they would teach that, like, even though the particulars of how these things may look would differ, whether you're in an Assemblies of God church or a Church of the Nazarene or whatever it is, right? Um, that idea of um, this is what should happen all the time is common across the board as far as I know. You know, okay. Um, yeah, I think there's one other thing, and then I want to ask you about yours, though. Okay. Is the other one, and it's certainly talked about and was certainly taught, but I think it's something I've seen that was an emphasis that was there, whether it was always explicitly stated or not, is that for Pentecostals, the Spirit really shows the imminence of God. So God doesn't just know about us. God doesn't just love us. God doesn't just care, right? God is literally inside us through the Spirit and empowers us through the Spirit because God cares about everything, not just the big picture, right? But every, all of my daily needs, you know, everything a person could ever need, like God is present <laughs> through the Spirit in a way that God wasn't present before the Spirit was sent. You know, because like I remember this idea that like when Jesus was, well, when Jesus was on earth as a human being, he could only be in one place at one time, right? 
mm-hmm. yet with this when when Jesus returns to heaven and sends the spirit uh, all of a sudden that's different right like now the spirit is for everyone and everywhere and so this this idea of the Holy Spirit being so centrally involved in the lives of the of the Christian person, even to the point of like, I mean, when you think about that, right? Like here we're saying that the creator of the universe doesn't just love us, but knows every detail of my life and heart and faith and desires and gifts. <laughs> and he, and, and that God does that for everybody through the spirit. Like that's a pretty amazing thing to say, you know, that's yeah. a pretty, pretty uh, wild claim to make in one sense, yeah. but we see it happening. And that's why there's such an emphasis on God working today through the spirit, because that's God's uh, imminence, God's closeness, God's presence with us in a way that, you know, it's pretty, well, I mean, is, is central to the entire expression, I think. Okay. How does imminence and power connect? You kind of can't have imminent. You kind of can't have power without imminence. Like not in the way they believe about it. I think you know, like uh, the power of the spirit lets you do uh, or see amazing things happen, or miracles take place, or whatever. Mm-hmm. And for them, that happens because the spirit is there doing those things, either in us or through us. Yeah. Um, I think it's just kind of. It's almost like the power of. The spirit is something that happens as a result of the imminence of God through the spirit. Like I think Samson's a great example or any of the other judges that do that kind of thing. Or, you know, when you see one of my favorite scriptures in the whole Bible is the the dry bones in Ezekiel 37. And, you know, the prophet has this vision of this, this desolate wasteland filled with bones. And then the breath of God, the spirit shows up and all of a sudden they start rattling and come back to life and you know because god is there but god's not just there god is doing things the spirit doesn't just show up right mm-hmm. you even see the spirit was present at creation there's right. there's the spirit of god hovering over the chaos of the deep and in some way centrally involved in creation itself so yeah i don't know i think i think they're kind of inextricably linked in that i think the power that they talk about happens because well i mean kind of in the same way that when jesus was on earth things happened because here was the fullness of god dwelling in christ right yeah. so of course you're going to see spirits cast out or people healed or or whatever it was you know this kind of similar idea huh because i went because i know you pretty well and i went to school with a group of people who <laughs> you know came from the same tradition as you i know <laughs> that uh that your heritage when it comes to the Holy Spirit is radically different, right? Yeah, <laughs> and so, yeah. right, like, I mean, I don't know that there's a lot of that in there for you. At the very least, there's some pretty major, major differences. So, so what was that for you? So what was your conception or understanding of the Spirit or how, how were you taught about the Spirit or that kind of, you know, that kind of thing? Yeah, so I think uh, as, as peculiar peculiar as it will sound to you, um, our theology of the Holy Spirit started with justification. Um, (laughs) What? (laughs) I am shocked. I think at least this is how I was taught it. Again, there's like, I I just as a quick aside, um, sometimes I wonder, like, is the way that we were taught this shallow compared to the depth of their lutheran heritage Mm. i think there's a truth there i think there's enough that it always gives me pause like i don't think this is exactly what our lutheran heritage is how i received it how we received and how we remember it and memory is a tricky thing anyway for all of us you know having said that there are people in the lutheran church uh that that i'm a part of that are recognizing that we have an underdeveloped, uh, the fancy word would be pneumatology. So we have a very underdeveloped theology of the Holy Spirit, and people are working hard to develop that, especially from uh, outside of the Western world or um, white Western world. Just as a, as a quick f- funny story that I think illustrates this, you probably know the one I'm going to tell, but Nate and I had a class together, yeah. and... Uh, it was not a great class, but anyway, um, he, the professor was doing like, he did a devotion from the book of Acts 
uh, each day of the class as a way to get us started. And he had a lot to say about chapter one. You know, I think he talked about the ascension of Christ and all that. And then the next day he's like, well, we'll just go ahead and skip past chapter two because nothing much really happens there. (laughs) And he said this and I was just like, you, what? What? (laughs) You know, like, now, I mean, that was not like a well-reasoned theological statement. I, I don't, no, I know that, no. but there was something to this idea of like we can just gloss over the coming of the Spirit. Yeah. <laughs> no. Yeah. Um, anyway, that, that's because the Holy Spirit comes to point us to Jesus almost only. I don't want to say it's only because I'm sure in the heritage, the way I received it, there was some room for the spirit working in other ways, like, mm-hmm. especially in scripture, like the old Testament, you know, the spirit of God's working a bit differently uh, than he does in the church, or at least the way that we're taught it or the way I sure. heard it. Yeah. But really it was all around um, justification and sanctification in terms of how do we, uh, let's say all about how we, come into the life that Jesus offers us and how we live that life. That's where the spirit really comes in. And it's through this common recognition of sinfulness and bringing that to God and so forth. Martin Luther, and I'll actually say that when we get to the section, this is something that still I hold on to. He says in his uh, description of the, or defense or explanation, whatever it is, of the third article of the creed, which is um, Lutheran talk for the Holy Spirit. First article is Father, second, son, third. says, I cannot by my own reason or strength come to the Lord Jesus Christ or believe in him, or vice versa, believe in the Lord Jesus and come or come to him. And the idea here is that uh, being a Christian, being a believer, whatever language you want to use, comes only through the Holy Spirit. You hmm. cannot reason or strength. Uh, the technical words would be reason and will. So can't do it through my own reasoning of it. No one can reason their way into heaven is how we kind of talk about it. And th- I think there's truth there. Um, and nobody can will themselves like they don't have their own power. They don't have their own stuff apart from God to become part of God's family. Um, and, you know, to be saved, can't save ourselves. It's kind of where justification fits in really nicely. Uh, so it's, we cannot by our own reason or strength do this thing. The Holy Spirit has to do it for us. And so we spend a great deal of time talking about how the Holy Spirit does that, right? So if that's that's true, which the, whole, the, the creed says so, the Apostles' Creed, the Nicene Creed says uh, that kind of stuff. And scripture seems to suggest the same. Mm-hmm. Um, how do how does he then work within our world, if you will? Uh, but I mean, frankly, let's be honest. Within the church, how does he work? Okay, so how does the spirit work in the church then? Yeah, so this is the second Lutheran big thing around the Holy Spirit. Uh, that would be the first, the reason and strength. Second would be word and sacrament, right? You heard that ad nauseum mm-hmm. when you were there. <laughs> yes, that's the bread and butter, I think. It's our bread and butter. So the Holy Spirit works through the word, which means everything from formal proclamation and sermons to reading scripture, like where some of us are big fans of the Gideons, you know, you have mm-hmm. uh, Gideon stories where people uh, are down on their luck and then they read the Gideon Bible and then by the way, anyone who's not who's listening doesn't know. Those are the people that put Bibles in hotel rooms right. and other stuff. Airports and all kinds of stuff. Although yeah. they're getting limited. Uh, they're not doing that ministry as much as they used to. But anyway, there's stories of like Holy Spirit magic happening and people are, you know, <laughs> reading that and all of a sudden they want to become a Christian. So uh-huh. they go to the next church and whatever. Um, so it's, it's from those and it goes down to a kind word that a friend might say that has scriptural rooting in it. It might not be hmm. actual quotation, but you know, like, Hey, God will protect you. Well, that's, hmm. that's a pretty, I mean, we could get into why I find that problematic in terms of tying it to the word because yeah, you could tie it to the word, but is that really what's going on there? I'm not sure, hmm. but word is the big one. Yeah. That's our huge thing 
And then sacraments is probably the thing that defines us differently, right? So we probably have a lot of common ground with other Christian traditions when it comes to the word. Yeah, like I didn't, I wouldn't disagree with any of that. Yeah, and you even mentioned about the conviction of sin. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. That happens through the word. Sure. That's how we would say it. Um, yeah. Sacraments don't convict us of our sin. That's uh, not their purpose. Their purpose is more in terms of sanctification or, uh, you know, baptism is more adoption and Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. so forth. So baptism would be our first. We only have two. Lutherans only have two. It's uh, uh, baptism where you're baptized as a baby all the way up to, you know, the moment you die, uh, you can be baptized. And uh, we quote kind of Mark, baptism now saves you. Mm-hmm. And we believe that baptism is the work of the Spirit. It's not uh, Martin Luther in his catechism will say it's not just water, but the word with it that uh, points to the Holy Spirit and how the Holy Spirit is working in that word <laughs> and the baptism. So the Spirit is doing something through the actual water itself? Through the word being spoken into the water. So the word and the water combined with whatever the Spirit is doing. Right. Okay. We get really. We get really weird when you start to try to pin him down, you know. <laughs> I remember, yes. Because yeah. so, <laughs> I didn't know that, that, that you believe that. And I remember asking a question in a class pretty early on about, well, wait a minute. I, I thought you people believed in faith alone. I didn't say it quite that way, you know. <laughs> so that's baptism, Holy, uh, Holy Communion, the Lord's Supper is almost exclusively a sanctification thing. That's why we don't do communion for younger people. Because, um, you know, you're still kind of learning the faith. You're still doing that, uh, learning the story of the faith, really. Um, And there's debate of how young or how old one needs to be. But generally, uh, communion is seen in this tradition and the Holy Spirit and the way that he works is to comfort the conscience through the grace that we receive in Holy Communion. So it's uh, I've used this analogy. It's funny that you use the the water analogy. We have another water analogy, and ours is kind of like I think I've shared this. It's a faucet, and so there's uh-huh. a big yeah. pipe above us. And uh, depending on what happens in a service or happens in your life, God has all three. The Holy Spirit has all three of those turned on to pour more grace into you. So the Word constantly needs to be poured into you. Is church workers and theologians, that's what we would say. And then baptism, either the actual baptism act or the remembrance of your baptism, that would be a huge thing of uh, our sacramental system. And then receiving the Holy Communion um, through either worship service or when you get older and you're not able to go to church, a lot of pastors will make that a big staple of what they do, bringing communion to people. And the Holy Spirit works through all of those. Yeah, so we we pretty much put uh, the work of the Holy Spirit there. Um, conviction of sin is big, but more often than that, it is to bring us to the grace and the love of Jesus fully and completely. So what about the stuff I said about power then? I mean, I know you weren't taught that, but like, um, you know, what would... I could ask you, but I mean, what would the average person in your world think of stuff like that? Yeah. So it's harder for me to say, I know the answer to the question because I was once this way, but because uh, Ryan and I talk quite a bit, I'm not this way anymore. Um, I can tell you, though, Lutherans find it very alien and befuddling. Even, uh, do you think scary even? Um. I don't know. I just, I felt that sometimes, but not from everybody. And and that might, I'm not like, that's not a blanket statement. I just sometimes, I don't know, maybe scary isn't quite the right word, but there was a reticence that was more than just, I don't understand this. Uh, So part of me wonders, so this is where it gets kind of tricky for me, because personally, when I don't know something or it's confusing, that is scary for me. Sure. Um, so and maybe that's what I was picking up on. It might yeah. be. Uh, it might be kind of like if you're getting it scary, it might just be that they feel like it's sort of superstitious. Mm-hmm. I think that's probably a better. 
like they're trying to understand. And so there might be some fear there, but I think it's more like we don't really want to know or we don't really understand what you're saying. Um, we don't want to say you're not a Christian because clearly, but this this kind of talk about the power of the spirit is just it's odd. It's. Hmm. Well, I won't argue with you there. It's weird. Yeah. (laughs) Especially when we see how it manifests. That's Mm -hmm. where the superstition might come in, where I don't think anybody would say you're being superstitious. It's just kind of that vibe, you know, that vibe that you get from people when you're like, uh. Well, sure. I mean, like, you know, (laughs) it's not by accident that uh, Simon the sorcerer saw these things happening and wanted the same thing for himself. You know, yeah, right. tried to buy it with money and it didn't go well for him. But <laughs> I mean, this guy was, I don't know whether he was like an actual sorcerer or not. But the point was, he saw these things happening and he wanted it. You know, yeah. he wanted that same power for himself. And so I could say, and, and, and you know, especially I remember growing up in the 90s, especially there was a lot of weird, as they would say, manifestations of the spirit, right? People falling over, mm. people laughing all the time, like for hours at a time um there was even talk of people finding gold in their teeth that wasn't there before which i'm not sure that was actually a thing that ever happened but i just mean like whether it was or not those things are kind of weird (laughs) right they are and lutherans you know you got to think how does somebody not you i don't mean that kind of condescendingly but everyone who's listening lutherans don't generally know pentecostals true Um, well, I didn't so, know any Lutherans yeah. <laughs> before. So what's our re- frame of reference? Right. Um, Benny Hinn would be a big one. Sure. Uh, what's his name? T.D. Jakes would be another. And Jakes kind of has a, this weird modal. a little different on. because he's African-American. But yes, definitely. Um, you so, know, most of the big televangelists are Pentecostal right. in some way. Right. And so that's where the superstition kind of comes in. It's like... Uh, I didn't really know what to do with that. I, you know, most most people, at least me, when I was there, I was like, well, I don't really agree that that kind of stuff happens, but I don't have a way to explain it away, especially when I meet a Pentecostal yeah. like you, right? And so then you do what most of us do with stuff like that is go, huh, I'm not yeah. going to think about that. <laughs> but I will say, like, I've been thinking about that power question. I think, like, for us... If we were to say, where's the power of the Holy Spirit, I would say that most would say it's the power to overcome sin, death, and the devil. Okay. That's where the power is, because those (laughs) things are pretty powerful, and that's the Martin Luther triad that we always like to throw So that's justification and sanctification. Well, yeah. Right? Yeah. Yeah. You know, (laughs) as I say that, and I know you know this, but we always come back to justification. Mm -hmm. Almost always. I I can say probably always. Every once in a while, we might not. But if if we can do it, especially because a lot of Lutherans try to think as preachers, and we always Mm -hmm. want to preach Jesus. And so uh, when we see things of power, how can we preach Jesus there? Well, hey, the Holy Spirit has power to overcome sin, death, and the devil. And guess who else did that? (laughs) Right, right. So, you know, at, at this point, we, we usually tend to look at, okay, so where are the cracks that showed up? Or what were some things that made us start to rethink uh, the stuff we were taught or what we've believed in the past? And so you've kind of hinted at some of it, I think. But like, so, um, you know, what what were some of those things for you? Yeah, I think I could actually boil it down to one question that, you know, through the journey several times, I probably asked it explicitly, but most of the time it was just kind of in the background without me really knowing this was the question I was asking. But it was basically this, can the Holy Spirit work outside the word? Hmm. Because even in sacraments, sacraments always point us back to the word, right? I said that in the example of... uh, Well, you have to say the words of, uh, uh, what are they called, right? Um, In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. But the words of institution come from the right. yeah from the from, from the Bible yep. yeah we directly quote that and uh, yeah so everything comes back to the word um, and so I just started to ask that question and it was more of a logical exercise which of course is no surprise to anyone who's it's been watching. also shocking yes <laughs> <laughs> but I started to think about things like. I, I, I explicitly said the magic, the Holy Spirit magic of the Gideon experience, because 
if the Holy Spirit only works towards the word and, and Lutherans will say they choo- he chooses to limit himself that way. So how do you logically play this out? Right. Somebody comes to uh, a hotel and pulls out a Bible, starts reading it. And all of a sudden, what? The spirit speaks in those words and shows Jesus's love to them and they become a Christian. Is that how that works? Uh, I think most Lutherans would say that the word works in that moment as a prompting to who Jesus is. Mm -hmm. And then it requires some sort of follow up. And that's why Gideon's, for example, will put something in the Bible that, you know, phone number or a local or something like that. And then uh, from there, the Holy Spirit works through the church, you know. But what I started to ask is, okay, well, what happens before that? Like, why is that moment for some a moment that actually produces faith, whereas others it does not? Yeah, because, you know, plenty of people read the Bible and don't. That doesn't happen. Yeah, in fact, uh, one of the weird things that I watch on YouTube is atheists kind of debating with Christians, just because I like to see <laughs> not the Christian side anymore, the more the atheist side. And they typically know the Bible better than most Christians. Mm. Um, and yet, they don't believe. Seems to me that there's not just... Uh, it seems to me that God doesn't just work through the Word because... Does God not work inside the rest of the world? Like Hmm. in those moments where the son is trying to have a conversation with his father or vice versa, is God not working there? Is the Holy Spirit not moving in that moment? Hmm. Well, and, you know, what about places in the world where there is no written word? I mean, those exist, you know, Um, or people who can't read, you know what I mean? (laughs) Or whatever it is, like... Um, there has to be some way that that the Spirit could work other than just through the words in the Bible or the words as they're spoken, right? C.S. Lewis in The Last Battle seems like a, the, what he's suggesting there is that the Holy Spirit was working through the prophet Muhammad in a really hmm. interesting like suggestion. You know, he doesn't flesh that oh, out. Oh, bite your tongue. Lot, but... <laughs> But the guy in that story, just for anyone who hasn't read it, at the end, there is somebody from a different land who's clearly Muslim in, mm-hmm. in the, the, what's the, the Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. And he's in heaven with Aslan. And yeah. Aslan suggests something like, you, basically, you think this is the only way I've been working is through this, but that's not true. Hmm. Um and, you know, I wonder if there's some truth to that. And that's kind of where the cracks started to show themselves is, okay, if, if I mean, and let's be honest, <laughs> I'm going to be kind of harsh and whatever. It's just what it is. If the Holy Spirit's only alert working through Lutheran churches, he's doing a pretty bad job. <laughs> well, I mean, that's fair, right? I mean, honestly, if the Holy Spirit is only working through one kind of church, whatever kind of church it is, that sure leaves a lot of people in a yeah. bad way, you know? And I'm all for believing, and I do believe, that God primarily works through his church, and that creates this call for us. We, we've got to pick up our game, right? We've got to take care mm. of people, show God's love in a way that we haven't been doing, and more so, so that the Holy Spirit has, let's say, an easier time. I don't know. It gets tricky in the language, but you know, that sure. there's a lot more that could be happening um, because the Holy, because the church is is partnering with the Holy Spirit in a way that we aren't really right now. Yeah, I think you know, as you're talking about that, I think even now today, I still believe. And I think I said this to someone at the seminary once, and I got one of those very blank looks. You know, um, <laughs> the polite "I won't call you a heretic" look. Yeah, uh, like I would never say that, but. Um, I think that, you know, where I'm at is that the spirit probably primarily works through the word. Like that seems to be one of God's preferred ways of working. Right. But I would not want to limit God and say that's the only way the spirit works. Yeah. For me, it's just I'm not necessarily as comfortable saying that yet. It's just at this time I was asking the question, what are the ramifications of God only working through his word? through 
as the Holy Spirit. God has the Holy Spirit working or the Holy Spirit in the Godhead. You know, you know what I mean? However, that all works. Yeah. <laughs> the Holy Spirit. Is that the only way? What are the ramifications of that? Especially because and I think this is the interesting piece. Um, we're living in a more and more post-Christian world, right? It's a lot easier to say that, G, that, that the Holy Spirit works through only the church when the church has a hegemony of power everywhere in the world. Um, through nation states like it did, you know, in Italy and England and France or even America. Although right. It's different. Um, not as different as we might think, right, but yes. <laughs> yeah. Um, but still, as we start to see that the world's not that way anymore, as especially people my age and yours and those younger don't see the church primarily as a as a body of power. Hmm. Um, what does that mean for how the spirit works? Maybe that's how the spirit really works, right? I think of Isaiah. You thought he was in the clouds and then thunder hmm. and the earthquakes, but here he is in the whisper in the wind. Yeah. Um, so anyway, that's where I was kind of, it's just more like grappling with the complexity of all that. Uh, and focused on that question really because you know logically that's where <laughs> where it would fit for me well i mean that was kind of <clears throat> no that was the central thing you were taught so if if you're rethinking any of that it would make sense that that would be the question that you are focusing on right yeah yeah so did you have do you have any experiences uh or are you seeing any cracks uh in your heritage or your how it was given to you I think, honestly, this part of my heritage is one of the ones that's the most important to me. And I don't know that I've, I don't know that I've rethought a lot of it. Like, I think for the most part, I've, I hope I never lose this, this closeness I feel to the spirit and even maybe a sensitivity to the spirits prompting and and working, you know, I, uh, wherever I end up, you know, whether I end up being a Methodist or a who knows what, okay. I hope I don't lose. Well, that, that would be unlikely, but you know what? <laughs> I'm not going to say never because my life has been crazy, but um, <laughs> whatever it is, I hope I never lose that part of it. Um, this this um, reliance on the spirit in the day-to-day stuff, you know, if anything, but okay, I would say it this way. That's not to say that there hasn't been any changes in the way it looks in my life. You know, I, uh, you know, I remember being baptized in the spirit and speaking in tongues and, and all of those things. And, you know, I don't really do that anymore. And I don't remember ever consciously deciding not to. And I, I haven't, like, I don't think it's, I don't not believe in it anymore. You know, I, I think it's a perfectly valid expression for people's faith. I, you know, but I haven't felt the need to do it myself in a very long time. And I think there's been a lot of, let's put it this way, deep religious pain <laughs> I've gone through okay. in my life. And especially in the last five, six, seven years, you know, and I think that's probably been involved. Um, even with all my talk of imminence, I admit that there are times when it doesn't feel that way, you know. I would love to say, and I feel like I've met a few people who, and I don't, you know, I don't think it was an act where it was probably always true for them. But I'll be honest, there were times when I, even though I believed it, I didn't always feel that, you know? Yeah. So I think some of that kind of stuff has changed as far as like cracks and and, pro- and problems or, you know, that kind of thing. The only thing I can really think of is not so much in any of the beliefs I talked about as well, you know, I mentioned the the weird stuff, and I know you could say it's all weird, and maybe it is, but I mean, like, like you know, the gold teeth kind of stuff. I guess I, I don't want to be the judge of whether that happened or not, because I wasn't there, and yeah. even if I was, I, I get, I'm weary of saying what God did or didn't do in someone's life, at least within certain parameters, you know. If they said God told me to worship Satan, I'd say, oh, no, you know. Um, right. But at the same time, there is, or in my experience, there was t- there were times where it can feel like um, sometimes it's hard to tell: is this the work of the spirit, or is this someone uh, looking for attention, or 
you know, trying to manipulate someone because they have a quote word from the Lord, <laughs> you know, whatever it is. Like yeah. there are, there have been times when that happens. And I don't know that that's a problem with the fundamental beliefs themselves, but I think that when people are involved, you're going to find things that are problematic like that. And so I think that's the, the, the closest thing I can come up with of like, I've talked about this before, but even like for me, and I, and I do kind of think of myself as fairly sensitive to what the spirit is doing and maybe even what is and isn't sometimes, even if I'm not always sure I can say so because it's hard to say, you know, um, even so, sometimes it's hard to tell. You know, which is where I remember it going back to like, well, one of the ways, you know, it's the spirit is, is that it won't, uh, whatever's happening won't like contradict the Bible or you won't see it. I don't think they would say that it has to happen in the Bible. Cause like nobody gets gold teeth in the Bible. Right. <laughs> but, but, uh, like the spirit won't give you a word for someone that is, uh, harmful, you know, yeah. or if, if it's solely for manipulation you can there may be a spirit at work there but it's probably not the holy one <laughs> you know um so anyway i i think i'm, I'm kind of uh kind of all over the place with this but i think by and large I, I i haven't seen a lot that i would want to leave behind or get rid of or have moved on from but there's there have been a few things but then some of those things were part of a time period and i don't know how much those things happen anymore yeah, it makes sense. Like for me, it's it's not justification where this is the case because, um, you know, clearly I talk about justification and some of the problematic tones we have. But when it comes to grace, um, that's part of my heritage where I'm actually just rediscovering it and unpacking it some more and seeing the depth of what it is. Uh, I would be hard pressed to find ways that grace is not grace for me in the way that my heritage explains it, describes it, cherishes it, and so forth. It's honestly a part of your heritage that I find myself jealous of sometimes. You know? <laughs> yeah, and I, I bring that up because we have had conversations where, you know, sometimes it comes down to, well, it's just grace. And for for me, that's satisfying. And for you, it's... I so I, desperately want it to be. Yeah. But it's hard sometimes. It's hard, yeah. yeah. So I could see that. I could see how that wouldn't, um, there wouldn't be a lot of difficulty in terms of the cracks. Um, but of course, for me, there was, and I explained them. Let me just briefly talk about how uh, I've moved away and uh, really more how have I capitalized on the question that I asked myself. I've kind of begun to answer the question affirmatively. Yeah, I think God works outside of the word. But I think the distinction is that God works through the complexity of this world uh, in a persuasive way. So I really think the Holy Spirit is a great persuader. He is the one that persuades either through the word, which, of course, as always, I will say, just as Ryan has, probably even stronger uh, in case any Lutherans are getting nervous. Um <laughs> Put your heresy pens away, folks. <laughs> yeah, that's not going to happen. If anyone wants to do that, they're going to do it. <laughs> uh, but yeah, it, the primary way and the preferred way that the Holy Spirit works is clearly through word and sacrament. Uh, always, always that's what he prefers. But especially when it comes to saving faith and uh, sanctifying faith, you know, justifying faith and sanctifying faith. Uh, clearly, that's how he works. And so, you know. I would celebrate that, and I do. But I also started to wonder, like, how does he persuade us through our daily lives? Hmm. And I think there's a lot more in the complexity of life, a lot more in the complexity of just relationships as a generality, but of course our relationship with God as believer or unbeliever, um, whatever those categories mean. I think the Holy Spirit's working a lot differently than my heritage gave me gave him credit for. Hmm. I think that he works through uh, persuading these small moments. Right? Why does somebody actually go to a Christian friend to ask him something? Is it just because the Christian friend has an attractive life? Yeah, I think so. Because um, 
you know, the the talking points around that is the word shapes the Christian. So the Christian lives a God pleasing <laughs> life uh-huh. that then, you know, makes it attractive for a non-Christian to see that. And of course, there's an element of truth to that, maybe even mostly true. But, you know, there's just something unexplainable about how somebody would want to ask those questions of Christians and even be open to the answer that drives towards faith. Yeah. I mean, I, I've known a few people who were very, seemed very, very Christian and very close to God. And, and I'm not saying they didn't never read the Bible or never heard a sermon, but I, I don't know that the, the Bible or the word in that sense was the central part of their, their lives, you know? Yeah. Um, did the gospel preach shape them? Sure. But there just seems to, that just seems limiting, you know, to say that it's the only way, um, which is, I think me agreeing with you, even if you're not ready to go further than that. yet. <laughs> <laughs> That's fine. I just, it's been kind of neat though, to, cause you know, we've known each other a while now and, and uh, like we just, to, to see how God's been working in that way, in your life and, you know, through some of the things I think that's been going on in your church, don't tell your church, but you know, um, (laughs) it's just been neat to see. And I think that's how the spirit works is the spirit works whatever way we need the spirit to work. And maybe that's why for some people, maybe, maybe the spirit only does work through the word. If that's what people need, I don't know, you know, like I'm a big believer in the idea that God condescends in a good way (laughs) to us in the way that we need if uh old myrtle in iowa who's been uh part of this same denomination as you for her whole life is only believes that the spirit works through the word and maybe that's the way at this point that she can only accept it well maybe that's the way the spirit works you know but i think like you said the complexity of the world the complexity of life and the complexity of human life especially like we're all so vastly different in so, so many ways. Even people in the same family are right. so different, you know? And so that's why I, I, I like this idea of the spirit being able to work in the way the spirit chooses. And, you know, through our conversations, uh, there have been plenty of times Ryan has made me supremely anxious and nervous and cautious when he tells me that the Holy Spirit is working <laughs> Uh, uh, it's very nerve wracking. I mean, I told you this story and you're like, I think the Holy Spirit. Was, no, what was it? It's like, I wonder if Nate thinks the Holy Spirit's moving or something like that. <laughs> so, yeah, I probably I was probably a little snide about it because I'm that way. Yeah. And I thought, oh, that makes me really uncomfortable. Like, yeah, he works in general ways. But in a <laughs> conversation to give me a highlight into this man for a moment. Uh, yeah, I was very uncomfortable with that. Yeah. So I do say those things sometimes and, and uh, at least you laugh now. You don't, uh, <laughs> you yeah. know, you, well, you were never, you never told me to, you know, go no, die in a fire or anything. I was but clearly nervous whenever you it just got, it. like pause. Yeah. Subject change. <laughs> Does not compute. Let's move on. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So I'm kind of working on that. I'm trying to see, you know, and I think it's. Just where if you're a Lutheran and you're listening to it, it's kind of where we are as Lutherans. Um, I think all Lutherans, it doesn't just mean the conservative branch that I'm a part of. We just don't have a very developed pneumatology. And I think mm-hmm. um, exploring what the Holy Spirit does and how he works through this world is is really a, a ripe place for the frontier, if you will. It's mm-hmm. a place where... Especially we Lutherans, but I would suspect a lot of people who are not Pentecostal um, have a lot of catching up to do (laughs) and discovering how our expression might say that a bit more. Yeah. And, you know, I think about the fact that so Pentecostals uh, see their genesis coming from a, you know, this revivalism and specific revivals around the world and and, you know, you say that about Lutheranism and I think, yeah, but what do you think uh, Luther and Zwingli and others, Calvin, you know, what do you think caused them to do what they did? Was it just that they were indignant? No, I mean, that was a work of the spirit, right? That was a, that was the way that, yeah. that the spirit was, I think, um, 
bringing something much needed to the church at the time. Um, while also not like, it's not like he, it's not like the spirit washed his hands of Catholics at that point either. Right. Because right. in whatever way the spirit does, the spirit still guides the entire church. Um, you know, and, and you don't ever have to speak in tongues for that to be the case. <laughs> but I just, uh, it makes me think about how the fact of, again, I think the spirit works in whatever way the spirit works. And I know that sounds like a silly tautology, but it's just, I think it's more not so much that any of us have to expect what happens to someone else will necessarily happen to me. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But are we willing to let the spirit work in a way that is new for us? You know, like yeah. maybe that's not people in, in uh, you know, I know there have been charismatic movements within Lutheranism and Catholicism and, and, you know, various other mainline denominations and stuff in the past. And there are still like there are charismatic Catholic churches. Right. But that's not the point. I don't think that kind of stuff has to happen for everybody because maybe that's not what you need. But maybe what you need is just, okay, God, what do you want to do for me that is new, that I need? And yeah. are you willing to go there? I mean, that's kind of what we're talking about with this whole podcast, right? This idea that we're exploring and you don't always know where it's going to go. But we've both talked about how this exploration we've been on has been um, one of healing, even if it's, there's been some thorns along the way. <laughs> but it's been good is what I'm trying to say. Yeah. I like that question. Are you open to what the Holy Spirit is doing new and even now? Right. Um, I think that's the central question for all of us and for the Pentecostals too. Yeah. You know? Yeah, because I suspect you would have a different problem of expecting him to work through just the ways that. Right. Yeah. 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 Although I that mean, didn't come up in your story, I could see that being a problem in, with some Pentecostals. Well, sure. I mean, there they are still Pentecostals who argue amongst themselves about, well, you know, how do you know you were filled with the Holy Spirit? You have to speak in tongues after. And then this person says, no, you don't. And then this person says, and it's just like, who cares, guys? Like, just come on. You know, like, this yeah. is not the point. None of this is the point. Um, the point is, how do we all be sensitive to what the Spirit is doing? And thankfully, the spirit is patient and will do it, whatever it is, many, many times for us over and over yeah. again until we get it, you know? You know, what's fascinating is that out of all the things we've explored, this one, this idea, of course, this person, our, our interaction with the Holy Spirit seems to be the most diametrically opposed in terms of where we are on the frontier. Hmm. Um or not diametrically opposed. We're just on opposite ends of the spectrum. Right. For you, it's like, okay, let's make sure we don't do things to uh, muck this up. Right. Uh, for me, it's like, boy, there is a lot of roughage, a lot of things in the way. We need to, we need to start exploring and we need to start seeing what's out there. And it's almost, I mean, it's not quite because you're still on the frontier, but it's almost like you're closer to a homestead on the frontier where I'm just starting to get in there and saying, boy, this is kind of tough terrain, you know? When it comes to this particular thing, yeah, I think that's fair. Although fitting with my own thing, it's almost like there's a very well-worn path when it comes to this. Yeah. But I'm still looking for the ways the path branches in right. ways I haven't gone before. This is, that's not unique to me. I think not everybody is like that about everything, but I think that's a pretty common thing you'll find in this group of people. Um, but at the same time, like you said, sometimes you walk in the path that's so well-traveled, you know, and um, sometimes that feels easier than exploring new ones. You know, yeah. it feels easier to think that, oh, the spirit's only going to work in this way. And so there's other ones aren't. You know, or this thing or whatever that other people are experiencing or doing. Well, that's not God, you know, because it hasn't happened for me or whatever. And so I, uh, yes, there is a well-worn well path, but I always want to look for the other things because I don't think any of us will ever. I mean, how could any of us ever experience all that the spirit would do? Like right. we can't. Right. Yeah. That's why I like that idea of being a glass that is continually poured water into. You could never contain all of it, no matter how big the glass was. Mm, yeah. Yeah. Well, so that's been our uh, our look at the Holy Spirit as the end of our uh, little 
section on the Trinity here. It's I hope it's been interesting for you. You know, like we said before, Nate and I don't always, well, we don't really plan where this will end with any of them. And yet I always feel like we get somewhere that's been helpful for us both. And I hope helpful to you as well. Just remember, though, we are really exploring here. So if any of this made you uncomfortable, that's okay. I think that's probably inherent to the journey that we're on, something you should expect. And uh, if it's never uncomfortable, you maybe that's, that's not what you want. But also remembering that God is patient and the Holy Spirit will work with you wherever you're at, always. Thanks for listening. It's okay not to know about this stuff. It's okay not to know what you believe, where you're going, or where you'll end up. But uh, thanks for going with us as we go through this journey. If um, you have anything that you would like to uh, tell us, any feedback or stories of things that God has done in your life or things you'd like us to talk about or anything like that, send us an email at uh, frontierfaithpodcast at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you. As we close today, remember that God's with you this whole time, even and maybe especially if it doesn't feel like it all the time. 